I said, people who think things like that think, oh, don't be stupid, you know, um, uh, of course you can't know. But I said, actually, that's a very natural way for a human to think, to like put their mind into the thing um, and make it come to life. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grime America show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Mr. Lionel Snell a little bit later. I think that's a pseudonym, maybe. Yeah. But uh, it's a great chat. I can't remember. I thought it was our buddy Clint P that turned us on to Lionel, but it turned out that it wasn't him. So I don't know. I can't remember who turned us on to Lionel, but uh, thanks. Well, thank you yeah, for whoever did. It turned out to be a fantastic chat. And of course, we've got the King of Jingles himself is going to join us for some intro chat a little bit here later. He's in the studio, not in the studio, digitally in the studio. And we got the one and only... Uh, Graham, little drummer boy Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> good, how you doing? Oh, rumpa pum pum. Welcome to Is this the first time you've ever been on the show, Felix? No, he's not. I did, I did your guys' four-year uh, anniversary. Oh, that's right. Nice. Yeah. Season's show. greetings. By the way, season's greetings. Thanks for that video, buddy. I like I like how you slid in there some fucking crying over the drums and stuff. Yeah, we can we can talk about that later. Okay. Yeah, yeah that was a good one. Yeah. So what do you got? Uh, you got anything to bring to Grand America right off the bat? Welcome. Uh, a couple things. Yes. Yeah. Season greetings. Just wanted to say that uh, I got my teeth all nice and brushed. So I'm pretty fresh here. I got some fresh breath on the microphone. Nice. Perfect. I haven't brushed my teeth in three weeks. We. Oh, oui. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't be surprised with your like, really? cleanse or something that you're doing. I just there. don't brush my teeth. It's <laughs> just a laziness cleanse. <laughs> I'm not really doing a cleanse. I'm just along for the ride. But just it's a bunch of different dinners and stuff. That's my main thing. Is it's all different dinners and all different shit in the fridge. So yeah. snacking is taking on a whole t- new animal. Yeah. Sometimes I'll sneak off to a shopper's drug mart in the middle of the night and crush a bag of chips. No. <laughs> yeah. It's a small one, though. Just a small you got one. Like a, just a little you got like hella, halitosis? No. What? <laughs> you know you know halitosis is yeah i remember fucking one of my ex-girlfriends years ago said i had halitosis and i had to look it up and i was no like way. son of a bitch <laughs> chronic bad breath right yeah 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 that was when i was yeah you know you gotta watch that if you don't eat but i drink so much coffee that you'd never notice smoking cigarettes too fucking nasty habit i'm glad i gave that up yeah so yeah, drag, well, Merry Christmas, breath. Felix. You seem like you're a real Christmas cat. I like it. Yeah, I'm pumped. Are I you? got a couple of things up my sleeves uh, with uh, learning a couple of Christmas songs on some instruments and getting ready to play them for like family and stuff. Yeah, so. my my kids want me to learn Jingle Bells. So I'm gonna 
figure out jingle bells and I've never bothered to learn any Christmas songs this year. I'm gonna learn a couple Christmas songs on the guitar. Takes takes practice. You can't just wing it. I'm a winger. I'm a winger. winger. Yeah, I've always been. I don't sing though, so I can't. I don't sing. My kids can do the singing. But <laughs> I can't really read music. I can just sort of play. I can read or test some tablature if I need to. But usually, if I just sit there and play it over and over again, I can get there. Or you can get one of those little uh, what robotic things that you put on your the, the neck of your guitar and it just plays the, Ooh, the frets cool. for you. That'd be wow. cool. Really? You, you, go, you could impress chicks. There you go. Cover it up. Pretend, just pretend. <laughs> yeah. There you go, yeah. If you look it up, I think there's something you like you attach it to your uh, to the neck of your guitar and it just has like these little like uh, actuating things on them that that'll play the the chords for you. Play certain songs. I was actually, yeah, I don't maybe. play enough guitar anymore. I was playing a little guitar last night with my kids, so they still get a kick of it. It makes you, whenever I play it, my kids are around, it makes you want to start playing again. But so it's, it's mystical. Yeah. So you have no qualms about getting up in front of the whole fam family or just the internet or the YouTubers and just doing your thing, eh? Uh, just like in-laws. Not, not, as of late, I haven't been too like showy and, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want the whole world to see me, uh, you know, sing and dance, but. For you guys, I did the sing and dance on the. <laughs> you pulled it off, America. Yeah. So did you? Were you? You must have been lip syncing in the video. Lip syncing, yeah, just playing on a computer and pointing my pointing the camera at myself and uh, yeah, lip syncing. Nice. At its finest. Yeah, yeah, it's great. If anyone hasn't seen the video, it's uh, in the. It'll be in the show notes. It's on YouTube. It's on Felix's YouTube channel and it's basically it was that it's it was the outro music for the last couple episodes and yeah. uh, i'll make a pretty link to it i'll it's, make it like grimerica.ca slash christmas that's pretty cool sparkles video. that's awesome yeah the first well, official to, grimerica music video i want to say a couple things i want to say to kind of say thank you guys for allowing my jingles on your show i feel like they feel those jingles feel like right at home on your show absolutely all warm and tingly do you have a favorite one <laughs> Favorite jingle that I made? Yeah. I think like sonically, I think the, the Graham's uh, biohack sounds kind of the coolest. Oh, we actually just played that. Yeah. Yeah. We just played that last show. Which I, I was from, like 10 minutes, which like 10 minutes ago. Time warp. That's uh, right. Well, I, I just did some like, uh, I got like robot sound effects and I kind of like the, the kind of like, it's like a halftime kind of progression and I almost want to use it for a real song outside of the, the jingle realm. All that for anyone who doesn't know, here's the jingle in question. Oh shit. Page two. No. What the heck? I just played it. Oh, oh one yeah. thing I want to say too. Oh, That could be a good song, that little intro part there, eh? Yeah, just like the, I think it sounds cool. I have, I have, I can work with it and loop it or something a little longer for a full song. Oh, one thing I kind of wanted to say is that, uh, Graham, I'm sorry for like kind of poking fun at you a lot in the jingles, but I feel like if I made fun of Darren, he wouldn't play the jingles. So you gotta get like your, you gotta get your own soundboard. Exactly. Yeah, I should have one, yeah. 
No, I, well, I control the. I still control the mix. So I just actually want, maybe I just yeah, but maybe volume. maybe that would be an idea. Maybe I should, should have my own. I would do like a jingle battle. A jingle battle. <laughs> Can we call it a jingle battle? And if people don't know, I mean, the last I think seven or eight episodes or so, Felix always strategically sends me a new outro music song. He knows my editing <laughs> habits, so he, it always like shows up like a couple hours before I start editing. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I just toss them in there. No problem. Yeah, it's 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 all in good fun. Uh, yeah, uh, and a couple other things I want to say is just like I want to say it's a kind of an awesome uh, outlet for my creativity, kind of doing these jingles because kind of like as an artist, you know, it's kind of tough to take yourself serious when you're you know playing instruments and when you sing over the top of like a, a track and it's like you're trying to be serious and you're not really even in like a serious mood, you know. Uh, I'm usually kind of in a goofy mood and can't kind of take myself serious. So the jingles are kind of a perfect outlet for, for the type of singing expressions that I have, I guess. That works well. Works great for everyone involved. Absolutely. Yep. Wouldn't have it any other way, buddy. <laughs> and like, you know, sometimes I find myself when I'm singing on like serious songs that, uh, that I'll just kind of just, just go all over the place vocally and, you not take myself seriously. So like uh, hypothetically, like if I was singing a song about like a lost dog, I'd sing something like, oh, "My dog was lost, and we had to go look for the dog. I found his leash hanging on a tree, and then I started to weep and moan." <laughs> nice freestyle. Something like that. I've been trying. Graham says he could never sing. I don't think. I can, get, I can only married. sing. I can only sing like '80s rock songs uh, in the car. Really in the crowd, yeah. So I have to do another road trip episode. Yeah, I will do Grammyoki. Me and James belted them out pretty good together. That Did was you? Fun. Yeah, I bet you guys. Queen some... and some fucking Metallica. We were like doing some cars, a whole bunch of stuff. You're doing some Dungeons and Dragons shopping <laughs> together too, weren't you? Yeah, I've seen Bohemian. That. You could do Bohemian, Bohemian uh, yeah, we Rhapsody. Did that. Yeah, we did that together. It was pretty oh, good. Did you really? Yeah. Uh, I loved it. James, get pictures of the Bohemian Rhapsody sing-offs. Get videos. Periscope that shit. Yeah. I should give him that yeah, access so I, to Twitter just for that. I, I thought I'd take the time here then to actually really promo the song. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so the song's called A Grimerica Christmas Carol, right? So it's like a Christmas carol. You know, Christmas carol is something you go around and you sing from door to door, right? You go to strangers' houses and bring a little bit of Christmas joy into people's uh, windows, into their ears. Does that still happen in Wisconsin? No, nah, not really. No, nah, I hear you. I mean, I, I mean, maybe certain cities, but yeah, they, they, they got to do it. You don't yeah. just see it in the movies. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel, I feel like, like it ended in the hear, 60s or something. You'd get to like, you, you might get through a couple houses before someone would be like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Time's up. <laughs> Time's up, motherfucker. All right, so it's called a Grimerica Christmas Carol. Artist, that's me. I'm Sir Felix. I go by Sir Felix Ortega II. I've kind of knighted myself, right? I haven't really been knighted by royalty or anything, but I just go by Sir Felix. You could be the official knight of Grimerica. Actually, that's Graham, but whatever. Uh, so if you just kind of go on YouTube, you can just search uh, Grim or Grimerica and Christmas and you'll find a video that kind of goes with it, right? So it's a, a video experience, a song experience, and I don't take myself too serious and uh, 
there's a lot of lyrics that have to do with kind of the mythology of Grimerica, right? So I mentioned a couple of people that are uh, kind of staples on your guys' show, right? Um, the jingle or the the chorus is kind of catchy and kind of references some inside jokes from the show, right? On this didgeridoo. Yep. <laughs> Rhyme didgeridoo with igloo. It's kind of a... Here's a funny part. I did the video and I did the, there's also like lyrics that go ticker tape on the bottom. And I knew I wrote didgeridoo and I knew for a fact that I just kind of winged it and didn't really spell it right. So I finished publishing the video and I go, I know I didn't spell that right. And I'm kind of, I can kind of be a, a perfectionist a little bit. So I was like, I got to go back and respell it. So I spelled it right the second time through uh, didgeridoo. Uh, and then, so you go on YouTube, look for the video. It's there. Uh, there's all kinds of links in the description you can find for buying the song. So I put it as like a single with a instrumental and then also the the actual song with words and lyrics. And that's for four bucks or you could pay more if you feel some generosity inside your uh, your pocketbook. You can your give me a little cold, extra money. Cold winter heart. Your Scrooge hearts. So it's again, it's at sirfelix.bandcamp.com. So it's S-I-R-F. E L I X dot bandcamp.com. Which is always in the show notes. Always, yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah, right, right. right above the music credits, there's a right above the music credits, there's always a link to Felix's Bandcamp page there. So listen, check that out. He's got, I think, what do you got on there? Like 10 albums? There's like six or seven. So that's like, I got like a back catalog of all these like songs that I made when I was like in my early 20s. And they're not like the sonically best sounding music but they're kind of like i look at them as like journal entries of just moments in my kind of young life little wet behind my ears kind of journal kind of rock journal entries of just like just yeah just a lot of different different sounds and uh some serious ones some kind of playful ones and uh so yeah follow the links in the description of that youtube video or just kind of go on twitter and you'll look at my twitter stuff and you'll find it grand america christmas carol uh sir felix again uh and i was going to try something really quick yeah, absolutely really quick. so get your ears open up your ears all right open them up you're getting sleepy very sleepy super sleepy like you're on a super sleepy pillow so sleepy and on the count of three i will click my fingers and you will cluck like a chicken not only will you cluck like a chicken you'll go over to sirfelix.bandcamp.com listen to a grimerica christmas carol all the links send some love you'll also go to grimerica.ca support and show some love monetarily to the grimerica show so on the count of three, do those things and cluck like a chicken. One, two, three. There you go. <laughs> if anyone's my, uh, we should actually did my... it. We should have did a disclaimer first in case people were driving. Oh, you might have just oops. hit someone driving down the freeway. Cluck <laughs> <laughs> him like a chicken. It could have been failed. Oh yeah, and his big rig. semi. Yeah. <laughs> uh yes yeah, so i thought i'd do that just to kind of you know 
hypnotize people into going and actually checking it out. You know, as, as long as you're just checking out the video and showing Grand America some sleepy. love. Fucking yawning now. No, nope, fucking got put you. me to sleep. I'm, the video is probably worked. You know, man, the video Holy is fuck. absolutely worth. Uh, oh, yeah, it's worth hilarious. heading over to YouTube and checking yeah. out. It's great. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a laugh. It's, uh, it's Cry. put together. Yeah. The, how'd you make the little dog move at the end? Did you have to do that in like oh. frame by frame? Oh, that you're not supposed to give that away. That's supposed to be like oh, the no, little treat like for the people okay, actually. Okay. <laughs> that's like when you go to the movies and uh and and you stay after the the credits and you see the you see yeah. the bloopers. That's like after the credits of Moana when the when Tom or the crab guy is still there. He's like, "You guys would have helped me if I was Sebastian." <laughs> yeah, so stick around to the end. I don't want to give no spoilers. Sorry, I, I half spoiled this the uh, video teaser. That's, That's fine. Oh. This reminds me of one other thing. This is, a little side, this is a little side story. Can I tell a side story? Absolutely. Uh, my brother, actually, older brother, back when we were younger, my parents had chickens in the backyard and ducks, and he found in a book a way to um, hypnotize chickens. <laughs> nice. It, and the way you do it is you stretch out their body and make them kind of prostrate and like make their heads straight and you kick their legs back, and then you tap them on the back of their head and they actually will... St- stay like that stunned for you know until you like go scare them that's when you what do you do to them while they're hypnotized you just look at them and laugh that's good enough did he figure that out on his own you said no he read it in a book oh, oh that's There's right some, sorry yeah yeah some little side note in some uh fact book or something What's or he hypnoti- was that like a stepping stone on a career to more hypnotizing no 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 he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't do that <laughs> too bad this is kind of it's kind of related to like your magician uh, yeah i'm thing sure lionel can hypnotize you yeah exactly yeah so i have an email that's it's kind of appropriate as well i've been saving it for a while what kind of jingle uh just a oh. feedback uh a feedback, feedback? oh yeah, after this I, after this i have another gimmick you want to do your deal and then i got a gimmick sure and then we got the ufo quote of the week as well what kind of email is it just uh i don't know just a f- Kind of a precog warning. Warning? Well, yeah, just, I don't know. It's just a fun one. If Murray supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Actually, that's that's one of the best. my favorite one. Yeah, that's one of the best jingles. Look like at the beginning with you coming in. That's pretty cool, yeah. And not only that, good vibes has kind of become now a little like yeah. staple of the show that yeah. help people feel better from time to time. Yeah. So this is from Bill, and um, he says, uh, "Hey guys, love the show. Good vibes from Cleveland. How weird is that?" See, I knew. Somehow I knew. I was driving to buy a car last week. Thought for sure it was the right car, and I talked to the dealership and was really going in for the final test drive and to get an appraisal on my car. On the way, I stopped the red light and saw a sign, literally a sign, Abraxas salt. And he shows me the photo here. It's just a photo of Abraxas salt. He says, I noticed, I noticed it, but I didn't really think of it after I pulled away. But I've been reading a ton of Gnostic literature lately. So the concept of Abraxas is top of mind. There is a God about whom you know nothing because men have forgotten him. We call him by his name, Abraxas. He is less definite than God or devil. Abraxas is activity. Nothing can resist him but the unreal. Abraxas stands above the sun, 
God and and above the devil. If the pleroma, well, I can't even pronounce that. Plethora? No, we're capable of having a being. Abraxas would be its manifestation. Pleroma. 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 It's like the shadow outside of like the sun kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Pleroma. Oh. If it were capable of having a being, Abraxas would be its manifestation. After the test drive, I was planning to buy the car if I could get a certain amount for my trade. It was a 2008 sedan with 110000 After a ridiculous amount of negotiation, I ended up walking out over $500. What? I thought, I, I thought that was pretty ridiculous until about 10 minutes down the road when I stopped at the intersection and saw the Abraxas sign again. Definitely a sign in multiple ways. I bought a much better car the following day. You guys have a great show. I'll donate soon. Just spent birthday money on a THC annual donation. You guys are next. Peace out. Bill in Cleveland. Believes in ancient lost civilizations and the Ivanawana New Earth Atlantis shit. That's my jam. It's a good jam. I like it. Bill. Thanks for the note. Thanks for the picture. It's a good jam. Yeah. I don't know. A little good vibes mini synchro in there. Yeah. Might as well do the UFO core now too, eh? Okay, fine. I'm going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. Words to ponder and critique. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. I think he's a man overboard. So this is uh, hmm, this is an interesting one too. It's a bit of a synchro. The trick would be to describe the project so that the public, to the public, it would appear a totally objective study, but to the scientific community would present the image of a group of non-believers trying their best to be objective, but having an almost zero expectation of a fi- of finding a saucer. That was from Robert Lowe, University of Colorado, senior administrator, former intelligence officer, and assistant director of the Condon Committee in a confidential 1966 memo suggesting the approach of the Condon UFO study. Nice. Two quotes in a row. When was that one from? When? 66. 66. Good year. Yep. Is that when you are born? You are born in 66? No, fuck off. My mom was born around. I'd be fifty-one. That's how old my mom's fifty-two. I think. Really? Maybe hmm. a little older, actually. Go ahead, Felix. Let's hear the. Ready for my gimmick? I'm ready for the gimmick. I always like a good gimmick. I like. When All right, here's my gimmick. Bring a gimmick to the show. You might not like this one. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so just a little preface. I uh, went to a music store recently and picked up a new instrument. And I've been talking about it in the chats a little. So it's called an ocarina. It's like a oval shaped kind of woodwind flutey kind of thing. Uh, people who play Zelda would know of it because there's a game I called like the legend of the ocarina or something or other. <laughs> don't I don't play the game, but he plays it and uses it to like time travel or something. Right. So he uses this little flutey instrument. It's kind of mystical sounding. You can be mystical sounding if you're like good at playing it. Uh, so I've been practicing a song for you guys. Nice. A live song. Okay. Live song on the ocarina. Hope I don't blow your eardrums. Been practicing it for days. And 
this is a little bit of like an olive branch from us here in America, you there in Canada. In socialist so, Canada? Yeah. So brace yourselves. Step out of the way. This might just blow your mind. I'm hoping it does. Like okay, the I'm going to take my equivalent of a... That's what is it called? The, OBE, NDE. Oh, the Thamarin or... Thamarin. Thamarin. Yeah. Yeah, it might just blow your mind. I might not. Might just irritate you. <laughs> we'll see. That's I'm taking my headphones shot. off. Okay. Okay. You ready for this? Yep. Headphones off. Do we take our headphones off? A one, a two, a you know what to do. It's funny because I always try and play the Star Spangled Banner on uh, when I used to have that old piano. I was always trying <laughs> to play the studio. I just find it. So you a, know, you know, a song that it was right. Oh, Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very good. We were yeah. singing. We were singing. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, barely. But... John's voice oh, cracked. We changed the lyrics a little bit as well. You <laughs> Did you have your letter you wanted to read as well? Sure. Do you want to preface it or introduce it? Yeah. This, so this is. This is Felix's letter to Santa Claus from what, like 25 years ago? Fuck, uh, nice. Probably around there. So I wonder the, if I could dig up did. any of mine. I should read my kids' letters to Santa Claus. I might have my kid on the show one time because she was correcting me over dinner the other day about a few things. <laughs> She's six. Like, grammatically or like factually? Uh, about, I think it was about anen- anemones. I thought it was an amoeba, and she's like, that's an anemone, bro. <laughs> oh, sea anemones? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is a letter to Santa for me when I was younger, and then those of you that are kind of the same age as me, that a lot of these uh, things that I ask for might kind of stand out to you. Uh, so here we go. Dear Santa Claus, on the day Jesus was born, I would like, and there's a list, and it's ordered with bullet points. One. Sentinel playset, X-Men vehicle, and headquarters playset. Two, zero-G. Three, Nerf, Max Force, Eagle Eye. Number four, Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Game. Five, B-Ball Jam. Six, Spider-Man Creepy Crawlers. Seven, Anything You Want to Get Me. That's that one's a pretty funny one. That's a good one, yeah. He's he threw in a disclaimer just in case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is this next one's pretty funny. Number eight, two pairs of boxing gloves. Nice. Who are you gonna box? 
my my older brother i'm guessing perfect but but it'd be like if i got a pair of boxing gloves it's like just myself yeah. like who who would i box with exactly i remember we used uh, to do one glove each <laughs> but you'd always forget what time the glove was on and end up socking the <laughs> body in the face <laughs> Uh, number nine, Nickelodeon boombox. Thank you, Santa Claus. Sincerely, me. What did Santa end up getting you that year? Uh, he might have gotten me a couple of those uh, X-Men playset kind of things. They were like little, they look like comic books, but they're like little boxes that look like comic books, like fattened mini, mini comic books. And you open them up and it was like actual, an actual scene where like little plastic figures could play on. Do you still have it? I still have like one or two of them, like Spider-Man ones. Nice. I still have all uh, my useless sports cards. Yeah, I got some sports cards. I thought I was going to hit it rich for sure. Me too. Yeah, you do. I remember you brought them all in, but he's like, no, like 50 bucks here. (laughs) I had like 25 different Gretzky cards. and I I thought I had two rookies, but they were two second year ones. Yeah, second gear ain't worth shit, bro. Ooh, we should, before we forget, check out grammarica.ca slash support, guys. There's a bunch of different ways to support the show there. Well, actually, there's only two different ways to support the show on the support page. You can do a monthly donation or a one-time donation. The monthlies really do help, and that those will get you access to the Black Budget content right away. Some edgier, a uh, little rougher content there, a little edgier, a little more controversial things. But all good fun, just the same. Um, and then in the show notes, there's a bunch of ways you can support the show without doesn't cost you anything spam the show review the show share the show a lot of people have been reviewing the show lately i think that helps with like the itunes algos and shit i'm not sure yeah yeah keep reviewing the show on itunes in the states that's right yeah. and uh yeah check out felix's page as well it's in the yeah show that was the whole the whole idea the whole motivation behind the agri america christmas carols is just to get people you know to have something visual to motivate them to kind of support the show because i just want to show how much i love the show and hopefully other people will show that show, show some love well, we love you too felix thank you yeah right on buddy thanks Check for all out. your jingles and thanks for all your support and thanks for, thanks for helping building this community talk about the chats too the chats oh yeah felix is the uh, king of the chats one of them anyway <laughs> he's only been kicked out once that's right. That's you can play the chats. You got chats jingle. You got chats jingle. That's less time than Graham's been. You've been kicked out less than Graham. Now there's a link in the show notes to that. I even kicked out the bot twice. <laughs> stop on by. 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 That's gregmerica.ca slash chats. And you'll find Felix in there. I think you're usually Mm -hmm. pop in at least once a day and say hello, eh? That's just a perpetual Discord chat. So it's a link to Discord. It's an app and you can put it on all platforms. And it's just like like a perpetual chat where people are just always shooting the shit in there and making friends. There's there's an I've, I've made so many people... It bots and admins that there's fucking making side rooms all over the place. I think Felix <laughs> made one called Bike Chats. Crimstick did that for me. Oh, did he? I'll make yeah. you an admin yeah. so you can make your own. There's a <laughs> okay. poetry one. There's, there's a, a Dungeons and Dragons one. There's a D&D one. There's a Truffaut one. There's there's a ton of them. And Grimstick hey. and all those guys are in there like all day. <laughs> I shouldn't say that can in I, case Grimstick's <laughs> boss listens. <laughs> can, I, uh, can I shout out to Cruising with Steak? Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. 
So cruising with steak is another, another podcast, uh, basically just, uh, riding on the coattails of, uh, Grimerica. That's supposed to be a kind of a joke. Uh, but cruising with steak. So it's like a C R U Z I N with steak S T E A K. It's a little podcast. I might may or may not have written their theme song and maybe like six or seven jingles for them. May or may not. What the I might fuck? not have you cheating on us. Well, they do a little bit more long form, yeah. long form jingles. They, uh, we're going to have a little trivia contest. Oh, with them fuck yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's going to be good. Are you, are you going to, yeah. are you going to, are you going to, um, I'm the hostess. The host host yeah. yeah. I've already, I got all the questions all lined up and then, uh, I sent you guys that spreadsheet. So, uh, so you guys can kind of see, I thought it'd be kind of like a jeopardy thing where you kind of, we got to you know, buzz in. Okay. Well, you, you pick, you pick the topic that you might think is your, your best topic. Uh, I'm going to think of some other kind of funny kind of, there might be some like uh, heckling. But you don't want us studying up on the topic ahead of time, do you? No, I don't, I don't want you doing that. Come okay. in fresh. Okay. I'm not studying. Yeah, I don't, I know yeah, I don't even study for the podcast. <laughs> um, it's going to be fun though. That's going to be the. Yeah, we got to, we can start really organizing a date. Yeah, we do. We, we'll Kay. crack down. We'll figure something Kay. out. That's going to be in the black budget feed. That's going to yeah. be a fun one. Right on. And, uh, Fuck, what else are we doing? Oh, yeah, the essays. We have some neat ideas for some essays, Graham, yeah. we're going are gonna to do well. Yeah, we're going to do some black budget essays. Inter- we're going to call it interrupting essays. Yeah. yeah, so we can interrupt each other and interject, or we can just shoot the other guy with an elastic or a drone or something. So <laughs> we're playing with some different ideas for some different gimmicks for the back, uh, for the black budget guys in the, that support the show. Because without you motherfuckers, there would be no show. And without uh, the king of jingles... There'd be a whole lot less jingles. So uh, <laughs> I think that about wraps it up. Do you guys have anything else you want to say or plug before we jump? No, just this things? awesome chat with Lionel Snell. Yeah, one of those, another one of those ones that you, you're not really sure what you're getting into, but it turned out to be a great chat. So yeah. uh, enjoy the chat with Lionel, guys. Tonight we've got the preeminent chaos magician Lionel Snell with us, a.k.a. Ramsey Dukes. He's got a new YouTube channel that we want to talk about, and his latest book out is called My Years of Magical Thinking. I've heard him on one of our favorite podcasts, uh, Rune Soup, and we've also had Gordon White on before. It's been a topic that we've been wanting to explore more, so we're really happy to have you on from halfway across the world. Lionel, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Like I said, we're, we've been wanting to explore this more. I've been interested in, in you know, this, this magic and chaos magic and the occult. 
more and more these days. And I don't know, I feel like there's a resurgence of it. And I'm not sure if that's just because I'm focusing on it more or if there really is more interest. But like we, Darren and I were just mentioning to you, you know, we are we are new to this. We haven't explored it too much. Um, so, so um, you know, a little bit of a little bit of a background on on what your take on you know on magic mm. is for the layman you know is uh we can't start start dipping too deep into the waters right now because we're yeah. we're sort of green well you, you said something which is valuable to me you said you get the impression there's more of it around yeah now, my book was very much my you know my years of magical thing was very much about that um because uh particularly in the 90s you know i think the it was probably when they had the decade of evangelism and all that. Okay. Um, you've got a lot of articles appearing in papers like the guardian and the independent and those sort of papers saying, you know, what's happened to, to the enlightenment? You know, we've had 500 years of, um, of sort of rationalism and proper education and so on and so forth. Um, why have people seem to be, you know, interested in astrology and tarot and all this mumbo jumbo? What's gone wrong? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, have people, why are people going back to that stuff? And, well, I think that I see magical thinking as post-scientific rather than pre-scientific. Um, and yeah. I point out in the book that uh, the Enlightenment was really was a rediscovery of the sort of values of ancient Greece, you know, the classical values of rationalism, um, the philosophers and explaining the world and, and uh, democracy and all those elements. And uh, that actually lasted for five centuries. And then you had the Roman era, which was a huge resurgence of um, magical thinking. Um, a lot of the things now, you know, like astrology, alternative healing, um, uh, pantheism, all these things um, that they had, the, their first big flowering was in the Roman era, divination, all that mm -hmm, stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost as though after 500 years of um, rationality, <laughs> mankind needs something else. And I could feel that myself because I was brought up in the 50s, which really was a high point of uh, sort of logical positivism and, and rationality, you know, that um, uh, religion didn't vanish, but, you know, it was just a thing you did sociably on Sunday, you know, and um, <laughs> the real explanations were all, um, you go to a scientist who really wanted to know what's going on. And yet, uh, and I had a education, I was a mathematician and um, had a rational education, and yet I grew increasingly interested in magic. <laughs> And so what I thought in this book is um, uh, now people tend to address this in two ways. One is they sort of show that in times of uncertainty, you know, people fall back on old um, comforting ideas and that sort of stuff. You know, in other words, explaining it away. And the other is to say, oh, it's because of a great spiritual resurgence, you know, and we're entering the age of Aquarius. Yeah. yeah. And instead I said, well, look, I'll just explain the things that impacted my thinking um, over my lifetime and why I became interested in magic and, um, you know, what the things were that caused that. Yeah. Well, I think I, there's a bigger, there's a bigger issue as well that, that it just doesn't mm. seem to be working. I mean, the materialism, the mm. dogma that, that we're surrounded by, that's sort of running our institutions and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of trying to shape our world isn't, isn't really working. 
you know, and, and I think people are realizing through direct experience that there's something greater to, to this. Yeah. And or I think there's really something missing. Yeah. Something missing. Yeah. People, people need something greater because, um, you know, funny enough, I mean, our, our brains are bigger than the universe or my, our minds are because for instance, the scientists will say, um, the big, say the, the big bang is their theory. Um, you say what happened before the Big Bang, yeah. and they said there was no before. Exactly. Time began then. Yeah. Um, it's it's meaningless to talk about before the Big Bang, yeah. but it isn't meaningless because exactly. my brain knows what it's saying. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you go back and you go a minute earlier, and it's a minute <laughs> before the Big Bang. You can't just um, start from somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And... So, in other words, my imaginal world is already twice as big as the universe. Because <laughs> you know? I can picture the whole thing, and I can picture before the Big Bang. So... Yeah, it's a sort of claustrophobia. Um, now, how do people react to that claustrophobia? And I think I, I put this in um, when I spoke to Gordon White on the, um, uh, you know, the, the, his podcast. Yep. Um, I gave the example of um, when I was in a really seriously boring job in a great big office. And I was going mad, you know, with boredom and... Um, uh, you know, the measure of how bad it was is that I wouldn't have a, a crap in the morning because I, I would go into the office for something to do. You know, at some point in the morning, <laughs> I could go to the loo. You know, so I mean, it was it was that bad. But there was this old guy behind me who spent all his time at his desk looking through travel brochures, and he would have a fortnight's holiday in January, and he'd spend the rest of the year telling us all about it, and. We all laughed at him and thought, he's a bit simple. You know? um, but I said, no, actually, I admire that because this job is driving me crazy. But he just has that other world, you know, um, wherever he goes to Bali or something. And uh, that keeps it going the whole year. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. go mad like me. So I think that that's one way that people um, uh, treat their magic. It's like to give them another reality. And it might be that they're Harry Potter fans, you know, and they, they, they buy the cloak and they do this, that and the other, and they go and enact Harry Potter games and so on and so forth. Or it might be that they, you know, more like the Lovecraftian, they talk about, you know, the great old ones of behind the time and, you know, outside time and all that sort of thing. But they have this other world which um, sustains the world they're in. Now, the... Funny so thing like for Dungeons me is, and Dragons? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Sort of, you know, the great powerful forces underneath all this that we, we can't measure. But, you see, it didn't work for me because um, if I did what that guy did and went on a holiday, had, you know, I, I love holiday in France or somewhere. When I come back, it just makes the ordinary life seem even duller. Mm. Um, you know, if anything, it was sort of degrading uh, my ordinary existence. And so... What I have done in my magic is to sort of look very closely at the world around me and, as it were, find the cracks in the concrete where the flowers push up. Um, uh, I, I look for things that lead me to see magic around me. Um, and one example was I wrote a book, uh, The Little Book of Demons, and I began not with a great statement about, you know, there's this other dimensions and mysterious beings, demons who are affecting us. I said, you know, when the office copier 
has this annoying habit of breaking down just when you're most busy, how does it know to break down at that point? Now, um, I said, people who think things like that think, oh, don't be stupid, you know, um, uh, of course it can't know. But I said, actually, that's a very natural way for a human to think, to like put their mind into the thing um, and make it come to life. And I traced that back to, I said, you know, imagine a little kid sitting on his high, high stool and he pushes a spoon to the edge of the table and crash, it drops to the floor. And it does it every time. And so he's actually doing science. He's learning sort of, you know, uh, what things are repeatable and what happens. And another repeatable thing is his mother will come and pick it up and put it back. But the interesting thing is the mother doesn't work as well as the spoon because sometimes she's a bit bolshy about it. And sometimes she takes a spoon and washes it before putting it back. Um, something's wrong there. And now, there's two things he could do. One is to just think that the mother is a bit more complicated than the spoon. He's got to find out how to push her buttons and make her work. Or else he says, what if there's another me inside my mother? You know, I can feel bullshit at times. Perhaps she's feeling bullshit like me. And so you're sort of putting your mind out into the world. Um, you're like, in religious terms, you're trading your soul. You're giving it a bit of your soul and saying, what would my soul do if it was inside that. Now, that actually leads to a, a very important part of magical thinking. You know, um, you look at the weather, and it looks as though it's in a bad mood. And you sort of think, hmm, feels like thunder coming on. Um, or the market trader talks about the market being really nervous today and things like that. Hmm. Um, now, if anyone says, what? Do you think the market is actually feeling nervous? He'll say, no, 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 no. Um, but actually, it's a powerful way of thinking. Um, a lot of very good decisions are made by that, mm. and some bad ones, of course. But um, And what I argued is that uh, the part of our brain which does mechanical causality thinking is actually much smaller than the part of our brain which socially interacts. And so, in a way, the scientific method is a sort of dumbing down. Whereas if we put our mind out into the world and talk to the trees mm. and um, and talk to the fairies, things like that, we're actually using more of our brain. And that's partly why it, it begins to feel good. Um, and you begin to get rather interesting results if you do that. So um, that's the sort of a long story, but it's, it's my approach to magic. You know, you look at some of the ordinary things in the world and you begin to say, ah, you know, that's a bit mysterious, that. Um, yeah, I like I liked how you how you talked about your evolution and your and your stages of thinking through the through the years and how you ended up you know in in the end you ended up appreciating the little things in life like that's kind of where magic led to this fascination mm -hmm. of of just you know whatever your you know normal daily daily life thing is. Mm. Yeah, I I. I think a very good exercise here for someone who's a gardener is to explore talking to the fairies about your gardening. Um, now, uh, so, you know, you've bought a pot plant and you're going to put it out in the garden somewhere. Um, or in a tent. You say, yeah, I got to ask the fairies where to plant it. Now, what sort of answer do you expect? Um, 
Now, if you are a brilliant psychic, you might hear a little voice saying, what did they run to the tree? But um, if you think about it, you know, these fairies are from a sort of, as we're another dimension or something. How could they communicate? Well, all you could do is to sort of say, where should this plant be best put so it is happy and, and grows well? And then just listen. And I, when I say listen, I mean, listen with all your faculties, yeah. you know, um, open your eyes, be fully aware. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that and it works differently for different people. Um, very often a sort of answer emerges. Yeah. And it might be a sort of, you know, a glow over under the tree. Um, and you realize that's what it's saying to go. Or it might be just the thought coming onto mind, I think, over by the tree. Um, now, uh, the rational part says, oh, I made that up. You know, it just came out of my brain. And then you can stop it happening. But if you actually trust it and say, is it true under the tree? Yes. Okay, I'm going to plant it there. Um, you begin to find that this ability gets better and better. Mm -hmm. You know, the answers come quicker. And very often after you've done it, you can understand, you know, there's very good reason for it. Oh, yes, under the tree, just the right amount of shade and the soil is very good and everything. I suppose my brain must have worked that out. <laughs> but actually, you begin to get answers which are quite surprising. And, um, you know, you wouldn't have known that could happen. So it's like, I always feel that the problem with magic is you've got to allow it to happen. And the rational education we have says uh, doesn't allow it to happen. So you actually have to sort of be kind to yourself and say, let's allow this to happen and um, trust it. And then uh, it isn't that you're throwing away your reason. Um, you know, people say, oh, that's a route to madness. You know, reason is what holds us together. It's what's made the world. It's just the order you do it in. The rationalist way is you say, well, I'm not going to try this because it clearly can't work. You know, it's absurd. The magical way is to say, I'm going to do this and see what results I get. Then you can look at the results and see if they're good results. In other words, if it says you should plant the tree by chucking it over the neighbor's hedge, <laughs> then you say, well, that's pretty stupid, you know. Um, uh, whereas if it says put it there and you realize this actually is a good place for it, then uh, you say, well, I'm getting good results. And then you build on that and they get better and better. And that's really how it goes. You use your reason after you get a result. So would that you, know, you be... do a tarot reading. You do a tarot reading and then you say, well, was that a good reading? What did it do? What did it, how did it help me? Mm. And if it helped you, that's a good reading mm. and you go with it. Mm. So would that be the same sort of skill set that the, the people back in the day and I guess maybe today to some extent, the guys that can kind of, you know, you count on to always find the water or... You know, they know where to dig the hole to find the village water yeah. and stuff like that. I've seen a special on guys like that. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think it's that because um, if you study dowsing, and I've, I have, I'm not brilliant at it, but, you know, I have done it in the past. Um, uh, you, well, first of all, you've got to go with the thing, you know, do I feel a stupid going on with a forked twig walking across the field? You know, what will the neighbors think? Um, uh, but if you do it, you get results and um, you usually start off following instructions carefully, you know, get a twig and hold it this way and all that sort of thing, or get the pendulum. And um, then people say, 
is it yes when it goes this way and no when it goes that way? And basically you're just uh, designing a language. Now, people who've done it a lot, they they don't really need that. They Very often they can just sort of walk across the field and sense sense it. They've tuned up their senses to the point where, you know, they they don't need an instrument to um, guide them. And, uh, yeah, it, that's actually something, you know, in magic, a lot of people who've been thinking magically and living magically for a long time, they don't actually do a lot of spells. Um, uh, and I, I've said this sometimes, you know, when I've spoken to a group of um, witches or something, I said, you know, sometimes... The more you've been in magic, the less magic you actually do. And quite a few heads nod. Um, it becomes a sort of way of life where uh, you may begin by wanting power to make changes. You know, the, sort of Crowley, the art and science of causing change in conformity with will. Mm-hmm. But um, when you get that sort of holistic feel about the world and all that, um, you begin actually to sort of rather dig things the way they are. Um, and um, experiences which you might have shied away from, you actually say, this is life. It's quite actually quite interesting. And um, going back to my book, The Little Book of Demons, I, I give one example, which I'm sure some people will say, well, that's, that's medically terribly wrong. But I say depression um, is a state and... I know there is a clinical depression is a full thing, you know, and it's very serious, but a lot of people just get depressed and um, they will take a tablet or something to get out of that state or go to a doctor. But I'm a melancholic person and I've learned to quite, quite enjoy that experience because I've lived long enough to know that it's usually over in a day or two. You know, that's my, the way my depression works. I can feel absolutely dead to the world. But, you know, if it's a sunny morning the next day and um, I'm feeling full of hope, it, it's all gone. So it's like being visited by a sort of rather boring old friend. <laughs> um, and you realize it's probably one of the oldest friends you've got because this goes right back to your childhood. You, I can remember as a little lonely kid, you know, getting this feeling. And, wow, no one's been with me as much as it has. So it's sort of... Um, yeah, you, you get to a state where a lot of the things that happen in this world are so interesting. You don't so much want to change them as to find a new way to relate to them. And um, so magical thinking tends to lead me into that direction and quite a lot of other people. Mm. What about what about what you need to do for work to get to that state? Like I, I pictured, you know, having to be like you need a presence of mind or having to be present in the moment to even catch that stuff. Like what if I, I'm so distracted and my thoughts are all over the place. Like I don't, I need to be somewhat grounded mm. or somewhat aware of what's yes. going on. Like, and it, cause it's hard to, yeah. it's hard to get like, it's hard to get like that, especially yeah. nowadays with all the distractions. Well, um, I've, uh, Something which is very sort of fundamental to me to expanding one's magical awareness um, has emerged under the name of mindfulness. Yeah, um, yeah. I know that's a term that goes back to sort of Buddhism or something, but um, a lot of people now who would be very cynical about um, tarot reading, astrology and all that, 
um, still practice mindfulness yeah. as a sort of psychological exercise. Now, um, I wrote a book called How to See Fairies, ah. which was um, based on a course I did online, which I called, uh, um, what was it? Uh, clairvoyance for the, clairvoyance for the non-clairvoyant or something. Um, uh, basically, it was exploring clairvoyance for people who don't think they're psychic. Yeah, maybe clairvoyance for the non-psychic or something like yeah, that. Yeah, And um, what I, I do is I say at the beginning of it, how do you know you're not psychic? Um, you know, uh, and I give them a series of exercises, which really is just about increasing your sensitivity. And the first one I do which uh, I once went to a workshop back in the 70s, um, and the guy demonstrated this. I say, put on a record in your room, a um, piece of music you like, say, and then answer this question, does it sound better when you're standing up or lying down? Now, uh, the rational mind says, well, that's nonsense, it's the same piece of music. But you say, now here you see, you've got a hold on the rational mind because you say there must be a difference because I'm in a physiologically different state when I'm lying down and standing up and we know enough about stereo to know acoustically there should be a very slight difference between those two states. So I go back to that question. Does it sound better when you're standing up or lying down? And then, you know, does it sound better when you're standing on a head or whatever? Um, now, the point is there that the... Rational mind does its thing of stepping in saying, oh, this is mumbo jumbo, you know, and you say, no, it isn't because there's a rational difference. The only thing is, can you detect it? And I suggest one or two similar things like wine tasting. You know, you buy this wine and he sort of says um, a sort of um, a naughty wine with a tingling taste of this, that and the other and suggestions of flint and strawberries and this, that and the other. And part of your brain says, geez, that's a lot of rubbish, you know, Um, but this guy makes his living doing that. So there must be something in it. Can you, can you detect these things? And so what you're doing is you're sort of turning up your sensitivity in a way that your rational brain didn't allow you to do. Mm-hmm. And then, um, having done that a bit, I uh, go into things like, now go into the garden and find your spot. And... People say, what do you mean, my spot? And I say, well, think of it like this. Imagine this is a garden party, and you've arrived early, and someone hands you a glass of wine, and you, what do you do? Well, you feel a bit embarrassed, you know, um, waiting for other people to turn up. So you tend to sort of wander around the garden, pretending to look at the flowers and things, and typically you end up somewhere where you feel comfortable, and then you wait. And I say, what you've done, without admitting it, is you've found your spot. So... Just do it in that spirit. Go into the garden, just wander around, not looking for something or saying, you know, what am I looking for? Just wander around until you feel, here's a nice spot, and stand there, and you found your spot. And you see, again, you're doing something which isn't totally irrational, but it's beginning that way. You know, how can one have a spot in the garden? And so you're gradually pushing those boundaries. And then I lead the person to, you know, um, experiment with... Um, uh, a pendulum, you know, and then the tarot and so on and so forth. But basically I'm showing how to learn to put aside that rational bit, which says, this isn't worth doing. I'm not going to do it because it's stupid. 
and say, instead focus on whether it works, whether you get something interesting. And then afterwards, you can reason about it if you like, but get that result first. So, yeah. Um, now, one of the exercises I give at the beginning, um, someone who reviewed my book said this is the best ever exercise in mindfulness. And that's the first time I'd heard it used that term in the modern sense. And what it is, I said, if you sit in a chair and open up all your senses, you know, first listen intently, then look intently, then smell intently, then taste in your mouth, then feel the chair. Mm -hmm. Now try to do it all together at the same time. And it's actually quite difficult. Very quickly, you're thinking of something. Oh, my God, you know, I've drifted off thinking about the, um, uh, the bill I've got to pay or something like that or the meal I've got to cook. Um, it's very difficult. And I said, instead doing it when you're going for a walk, go for a walk in some pleasant, quiet place and stop your mind from thinking. You know, you look at a gate and the word gate comes to your mind. You say, no, don't, you don't do that. Just, just observe, just feel all the sensations of the walking, the smells, the sounds. Just feel it as pure sensation as if you've only just landed on this earth and you've never seen any of it before. And don't give it words, don't explain anything. Now, what happens again, like when you're sitting, is after a while you realize you're walking along and uh, you're thinking of something else. Now, the difference here is that you can think back, when was the last time you were fully awake? What did you see? And you can make yourself walk back to that place. And when you're walking back, you do the same thing. You're keeping yourself fully awake. And you may not actually get back before your mind's wandering again, but you then turn around and may go back. In other words, the difference here is that um, whereas you're sitting in a chair, you just have to keep saying, oh, stupid, try start again. In this walking meditation, uh, there's a definite point you try to get back to. And it's like discipline. And it's actually, if you practice that a bit, um, it's much more powerful. It's a better way of getting into that mindfulness because you've got this sort of physical discipline. You're forcing yourself to turn around and go back to the last time you were fully awake. <sighs> and um, uh, it worked really well for me. And as I say, the person who reviewed the book said, this is the best ever exercise in mindfulness. And I thought, ah, <laughs> I found my niche. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, that's good advice. I found mindfulness very powerful. I was, it's, it's, that's mm. kind of what I was thinking of when I asked the question is, is, mm. you know, how, what are some tools to, to get to, to practice being in that state? So, so yes. what, what about, um, what about the title of your book, Magical Thinking? Like, was that, because that, that phrase is also used in the skeptical sense yes. as well as a very yeah. negative connotation, you know, and telling somebody, oh, mm -hmm. you know, you're magical, You've, you know, that's, that's magical thinking and as, yeah, a, magical as thinking. a slight. Yes, now, did you, did you do that just, you know, to um, deliberately change that? I, I did, actually. Um, now, uh hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean about the sort of, you know, it's it's downgraded magical thinking because mm -hmm. um, I'm a bit pissed off with um, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Because if you look up magical thinking Wikipedia, there's all this about, you know, all the psychological stuff and, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, it's crazy and all that. Now, I put in a reference in their format yeah. to my book, SSOTBME, and I said, in which the author, um, uh, 
suggests that magical thinking may have a positive role to play in our life. Yeah. And it was there for a while and then it vanished. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it was like it had been expunged, the very idea that it might have a positive role. Um, so when I, uh, as I say, I wrote that book with a view to um, answering these people who say, what the hell's happened to, you know, the Enlightenment. Um, I had in mind a sort of guardian reader type of readership. And um, I knew that if I sort of gave it a title like How to Discover Your Magic or something, <laughs> they wouldn't open it. Yeah. But if I called it My Years of Magical Thinking and began it as almost like a confessional, you know, um, uh, look, I had a Russian education, but now I write about magic. How did I get to that state? Exactly. <laughs> Some. Some of them might read it. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> oh, a good sad, point. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was that's the magic right talk. there. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the shame about it was that um, you know I wasn't really writing for my own audience, um, uh, where, where I had in my other books. You know, I was trying to write for some people who, um, and so in some ways it repeats quite a lot of the things in my other books. But it does put it all together, um, you know, in, into one sort of solid argument. And um, that was it. I was sort of uh, talked, I talk about ma thinking magically, you know, and that sort of thing. And then how it leads into um, the discovery of magic. So, yeah, I very deliberately did choose that. Yeah, yeah. So what what do you have any questions Darren about this or do you want me to continue on? I'm wondering if there's any ways I can like um other than I'm I'm going to try that mindful meditation because I'm terrible at that sort of thing and I'm, I'm Ah yeah give it a go. It kind of mm. almost visualizes it a little bit in in a sense. Mm. But I was wondering if there's other like I kind of do the affirmation thing. I'm not I'm not really steadfast with it. It's kind of off. Affirm affirmations? Yeah, like once I'll do mm. it for a couple of days and I'll forget for two months and I'll try it again. Yeah. Yes. But is there any other sort of like day-to-day -day magic that I can be, you know, dabbling in without too much risk or, or you know? Mm. It's, um, yeah, the, uh, it's the struggle with, um, you know, like normality has got such inertia uh, that it just flows back. And I, something like, you know, using an affirmation. Now, I used to, well, I, I love gadgets, um, you know, and the, the 80s was a great time of yuppie gadgets, you know, little things you carried with you, did things or felt nice or whatever, you know. And, of course, the iPhone is the ultimate yuppie gadget like that. But... um one of the things I experimented with was, was a little uh, thing like a sort of, um, what do you call it, a, uh, like a pager, a little thing you could clip onto your pocket or your belt. And you could set it for a certain time and it, and it would vibrate. And so, you know, they said, it's all very well having a, a you know, like a think positive or something like that, you know, but, but you soon forget to think positive and you go back. Whereas if you set this thing that, every 15 minutes is going to vibrate and remind you to think positive. And that was quite interesting. Uh, you know, it, it worked up to a certain extent. Um, and so uh, some sort of trick like that um, can be, uh, you know, one way of getting around of it. Now, if you don't actually, 
if you do, I suppose you could set your your iPhone to do that. Yeah. Um, I have yeah, I have an alarm that comes on and it says breathe deep, and I usually yeah, ignore it. That's the problem. Yes. That's but, it. It's got to do something a bit irritating, like yeah. vibrate. <laughs> now, um, someone the other day was telling me, you know. Uh, we're we're in our 70s we're getting old you know um and we begin to find we're losing our sense of balance now my wife has a a funny sort of little wobble board thing which you stand on and it's got one of those puzzles where balls roll around a maze you know and you have to tip it and tip it to get the balls to get into the center and the idea of this thing is you stand on it and you put a ball in the maze and you have to be so good with your balance that you just tip it gently to get the ball to go. Um, and it's a big ball and it's a sort of thing at your feet. And you get it to go to the center. And that's a tremendous exercise in balance. Um, and I said to this person, you know, uh, have you got one of those? He said, yeah, I have actually, but I, <clears throat> I haven't used it for ages. You know, it's in the cupboard somewhere. Um, and I said, you should do it for five minutes every day. And he said, yeah, yeah, I should. And I said, you know, it's no good saying that because you won't. I said, the thing to do is to force yourself by linking it to something else that you do do every day. And my suggestion was put it in the bathroom and don't let yourself brush your teeth unless you're standing on that thing and practicing it. Um, as an example of sort of making the habit link up to something which you you already automatically do yeah um and um so it might be um uh so you you think your positive thing whatever it is you know the thing you just said think it somehow into some part of your your life um uh <clears throat> i know one time years and years ago um I got a job in France picking um, picking uh, green almonds from a tree in the sunshine. Absolute bliss, you know, up a ladder, um, wearing just swimming trunks and just sort of reaching up for these green almonds with a great big basket and filling one basket after another. It was a lovely sort of repetitive thing in nice surroundings. And what I did is I told myself that you know, Lionel, every tree has got one magic almond. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's an amazing almond. Okay, what's different about it? Is it a different color? No, 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 it's nothing like that. Um, uh, it looks just the same as all the others. Is it different weight? No, 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 it's just the same. Well, how will I know? When I find, you'll know. You'll know if, you're, if you really pick it up, you'll know it's the magic almond. And so I sort of forced myself to believe that. And so I picked in a state of huge awareness, um, looking out for the one magic almond. Now, you see, that's a sort of a trick, but that's the sort of trick that you could try out. Um, uh, you might sort of, I don't know, something you, you, you do regularly, you know, s switching on your apparatus. Yeah, I, I saw that, pic you know, the image of you all sitting in front of all that equipment. You might <laughs> sort of say... Um, there's a demon in this equipment and unless I'm aware as I switch it, everything on, um, it's going to make it break down. <laughs> sort of a little ritual, if you like, like that. And sort of believe that um, I'm never going to switch on an electric switch without um, being fully conscious of what I'm doing. You know, 
trickery like that. It's, um, it's, yeah. It's funny because they're, they're, that's almost what they're calling biohacking these days. You know, they're talking about, oh, they, right. they're calling in this language like biohack sleep, like to biohack oh, exercise, yeah. like put your exercise clothes out right where you get up in the morning and you'll put them on and like the little tiny tricks like tricking yourself oh, yes, to get yes. to to create better yeah, habits it's like and it's scott adams book remember his trick for eating right. healthy was to just cook up a bunch of healthy food and have it in the fridge so yeah. it's easier than exactly else. like little things like that which yeah. is really just smart behavior but but um what would yes. you suggest like if, if if darren was to put you know like let's say he wanted to delve into this a little bit more and he wants to put a yeah. you know he wants to set an alarm on his phone for every you know 15 minutes or a half hour what would be a you know something that you would suggest as a practice to start bringing more awareness around this i, I i'm going to come to that but i'm just going to say i'm delighted what you said about this biohack thing because it's another example you see things which I have thought of and, and had to explain to people, you know, and then they sort of smirk and think, well, that's funny. Yeah. Um, people are thinking like, like that, you know, what, so some people thought was my weird way of thinking yeah. actually seems to be the mood of what's happening. Exactly. You know? so, and I'm well cut off from things. So that's really exciting for me when you describe that. Oh, there's yeah. a whole, there's a whole community around it of just tricking, tricking mm -hmm. themselves to, yes. to, you yeah. know, to, to be healthier or to, to bring awareness. Yeah. And I mean, and it's a very spiritual movement as well, which is interesting. Yeah. So yeah, but because it, because you see, it's going back to that thing of, of having a two way conversation with the world. Yes. Um, yeah. You're sort of telling the world what to tell you, you know, yeah. you're saying, Hey, I'd like to be reminded. Um, uh, now I'm getting absent-minded in my old age. You know, I get into the car and find, oh, I've left the car keys in the place I put them, especially so as I go out, I won't forget to pick them up. Um, now one thing to do about that is, um, I mean, the chaos magicians, you create a servitor. Now what I have is a butler, James, um, <laughs> Or no, Jeeves. I can't okay, Jeeves. I had two butlers. So Jeeves is one. Um, I get in the car. I sit. I reach, and I tell Jeeves off. Jeeves, I've asked you to remind me as I go past to take the key. I'm sorry, sir. I apologise. Um, so Jeeves, don't do it again. Very good, sir. Um, and uh, so Jeeves. Now the thing is, um, that's a nice idea, isn't it? But you have to go through with it. When I get in the car and I've got everything there and I've remembered everything, I thank Jeeves. Thanks, Jeeves. That was great. Um, you know, in other words, uh, people get some sort of idea like that and they don't go the whole hog. Oh, right. You know, I found a little trick to remind me to remember my keys. Um, but they don't think of being polite to you know treating it as a human because as i say when you when you're putting your mind into you know the little baby puts his mind into his mother he really is wanting to get you know to think like her for that point and um uh now um you see in the book the little book of demons i say okay you've read so far and you've got this idea that um uh you know a bad pattern in your life you can call it a demon and you can talk to it and ask it what it's trying to do in your life and why it makes you always choose the wrong girlfriend or whatever. Um, now, um, 
you then think of a solution. People always say, yeah, can you give me a, a sort of the recipe, you know, like seven steps to happiness, you know, what are the seven things I should do in order to get rid of a demon? And I say, uh, you're not actually treating it as a, a living thing, are you? You know, what's the worst problem you can have in the world? And I can't think of anything really worse than being a parent with a real troublesome child, you know, a problem child. It's absolutely horrific. And if some a parent came to me saying, I've got a problem child, you know, um, you're an expert, could you deal with this? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've spoken to him. I think I can get rid of that child for you. They'd be horrified. Mm. <laughs> it's a child. It's my son, you know. Um, uh, you don't just get rid of it. Um, but if I tell them about, you know, demons in your life and your personal demons, they will say, how do I get rid of it? And I say, no, actually, you've got to form a relationship with it. You've got to grow up with it. Find out why it's in your life, why it's doing that. And um, you keep falling back. I want to treat it like a machine again. Um, now, uh, so you see this thing with, you know, with my servitor, the, the butler. Um, it's very easy for me just to sort of um, forget to thank it when things go well and treat it with respect like that. Um, and so... Um, uh, uh, going back to the sort of thing we were talking about, um, you may think of a little biohack, which is neat, you know, and then um, you gradually slip out of it. And I suggest that what you're not doing is, as it were, thanking the biohack for coming into your life and working with you. Ah. Think of it as working with you rather than a little trick you've discovered to... Um, yeah, overcome the problems of reality. Good advice. Uh, I'm slipping. They're slipping away from me as we speak over the last few weeks. So that's that's specifically mm. good advice for me. Yes, yes. It's um, it's it's again back to the words magical thinking. It's a sort of um, it isn't so much the spells you do as this attitude to the world uh, where yeah. you begin to allow it to come to life and be a living thing, which is which is a two-way conversation with it. Um, and it sounds but, uh, like gratitude is a big part of that. I mean, really, like, they're, they're, mm, they're showing, intention they're showing that, yeah, that, I mean, that, you're, yeah. that, that state of gratitude actually changes your physiology, you know, which is probably yes. some of the basis yeah. for what you're talking about is actually just being yeah. in that state of thankfulness, thanking your butler and, and, yeah. and thanking your biohack. And that really is being in that state of gratitude, which will change your physical state and mm. vibration yeah that's that's it yeah it's a sort of um cumulative thing you know positive feedback and it um builds up yeah yeah i hadn't thought of it in those terms but it, that's definitely i think what is going on and that's part of the value of it yeah yeah, yeah. um wow. now I, I sort of diverted a bit because you 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 asked me something quite specific and i said well, i'm just going to come back to the biohack yeah. thing because yeah. yeah. it fascinated me yeah uh, can you remember what it was? Yeah, so it was about Darren, and he wanted to, let's say he wanted to remind himself to do something practical to increase his awareness or to start some, some you know, some 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 of this magic, um, that practice. I mean, not nothing, you know, serious, but what, what would be a good thing to, to remind yourself to do multiple times a day to build some of this structure? Uh, yes, yes. Um, uh I suppose, you know, really the answer is it depends on the person and all, yeah, yeah, you know, and look yeah. at your own life. But yeah. um, uh, a few pointers. I think divination is is 
quite a good thing. Yeah. It's got a sort of a place in our world, you know, things like tarot reading and all that. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, it's a way of bringing, um, yeah. So I, I mean, to do a whole tarot reading several times a day is asking a bit much, but um, you might do one for the week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is just... Um, at times of uncertainty, just remove one tarot card and look at it. I was just thinking that, yeah, you could do yeah. it daily or at times of uncertainty. Yes. Just get into the habit of I'm sure my wife would gladly at... do it for me every day if <laughs> really? I asked her. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah she would just be, say, love it. She this would is, be loving it. This this is my theme for the day, if you like, my message yeah, yeah. for the day. You yeah, know, pull it out and there's there's the um, ten of cups or something, you know, and you sort of. Uh, think what's that mean and, and so on and so forth and then during the day um uh let's say it's the ten of cups unfortunately i can't just rattle off the interpretation of that but you know um, i then don't you even know of, what that means <laughs> yeah that's it well sort of um you know read it up in the little book that comes with it and see what it says um just have that in the back of your mind and then look out for cupsy things during the day um uh you you break you, you drop your cup and it breaks, you know. You think, oh, um, uh, that's a cup event. Um, someone, <laughs> your children say they've won a cup at school. On the yeah, that's, that's oh, interesting. That's, that's a cuppy thing, you know. Here, so here, you sort of begin to look for echoes of that through the day. Good idea. And it gives you like, uh, it's like twisting the crystal. You know, you've got a sort of slightly different view on the day which makes it a bit more interesting so here here's Um, here's darren you just you just pulled this card for darren and here it is on the ten of cups we see a loving couple united by the bonds of true everlasting love they not only have each other but all they wish for in life as well represented by the two children frolicking at their side in the small but comfortable home in the distance surrounded by trees and water well Uh, i'm telling you ways to fall in love with the world I'd show you how to fall in love with the world, your environment. You yeah, and he has two kids in a house on a lake with the, with with the yeah. trees. Yeah, that's crazy. That's like, that's him right that there. That is pretty crazy. You are <laughs> magic, sir. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, Dude, yeah, yeah, so the divination, um, divination, you know, as I say, tarot is a good start because, you know, you can get them and everyone knows roughly sort of, what they're about and things like that and so it's a sort of you're, you're not starting from nowhere um but um uh if you start having this sort of conversation with the world um in the my years of magical thinking at the last section i sort of talk about you know having having i hope uh persuaded these skeptical readers, you know, that magical thinking is not totally balmy and it actually is a, potentially a way to go forward. I say, you know, how might one experiment, dip your toes into magical thinking? Um, uh, what sort of things could you do? And one of the things I say is, um, you know, you're driving to work in a traffic jam and, and a multi-lane highway and um, something's troubling you. Um, uh, I don't know, uh, something's on your mind, you're worried about it. Um, now in ancient times, you'd look for an augury, like a bird flying past or something. Yeah. Well, you look around you, we stuck cars, things, what's the augury and what can you look for? Now you might see something, you might see a car that's, that's weird and suggests something to you, or it might just be like a number plate, you know, um, uh, 
GBH 574 or something. Yeah. Um, and somehow that sticks out to you. You know, you think, oh, it's trying to tell me something. Now, of course, we're back in the interesting thing of talking to fairies. How do you actually get a message from a number plate? Well, 534, uh, that adds up to 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. It's come to 3. Does the number 3 mean something to you? Um, uh, yes, you were worrying about um, uh, a, a sort of a love triangle, you know, so that might be significant. Um, or you struggle away, you know, um, no, I can't, I can't see that yet. Now, you don't say it doesn't mean anything. You say, I just haven't got the message in that bit. GBH, um, uh, go back home, it could mean. Right. Um, here, I'm, in driving here, am I actually just trying to run away from a problem and I'd be better to go back home? Now, you see, you've got a message um, by an irrational route. Now, as I've said before, this is when you bring in the reason. Is that actually a good message? And you start thinking about it. And it may, when you think about it, it may actually make a lot of sense. You realize this traffic jam is almost like a message saying, you know, you're stuck trying to get away, where your real problem is back where you started from. It could turn out to be a life-changing message. Or else you might sort of think hard about it and think, no, I think that's fanciful. You know, it, it doesn't actually make sense in my circumstance. In other words, you're using your reasoning after you've got the message, um, which is a good thing to do with any message, whoever it comes from. You know, go to the doctor and he gives you a diagnosis and he's an expert, but you should still think um, he might be wrong. I perhaps should get a second opinion. You know, use your reason when you've got the message, but don't stop yourself getting the message just because it's right. irrational. That's a really good way to put it. So we talk about mm. synchronicities a lot in the show and then listeners, our listeners email us in synchronicities and, and there's some crazy stuff that happened that really show oh, yeah. us that it doesn't, it doesn't seem like, like, uh, you know, humans are, are in charge here, you know? Um, and, mm -hmm. and I guess yeah. it's, it, it, it seems to me like, Watching out for synchronicities and paying attention to them is is some magical practice that that uh, that fits with what you're mm -hmm. talking about. But I yes, guess before yeah. I also want to mention as well that it it seems like it brings up the universe in a virtual reality way or a simulation mm -hmm. way. And I know that you know you've talked a little bit about that as well. And maybe before we, I don't want to run out of time mm -hmm. here. There's so much to talk about, but. That is an interesting topic. Darren's very interested in, you know, the digital simulation kind of thing. And is there was there uh, a point yes, in yes. your life where magical thinking led you to think that we were living in a simulation or a virtual reality? Mm. Yes. Um, and it goes right back to uh, my childhood. Um, when we were at school in around about 1959 or so, or 1960, um, a guy called Professor George from Bristol University came and gave a talk to a group of us. And um, it was about the idea that of artificial intelligence, that um, he uh, reckons that time would come when they'd have uh, computers that could think like human beings. Now, it was an interesting thing. It was, well, it was fascinating. I mean, it haunted me all my life, this, because um, I realized, as I was a mathematician, he'd actually created an, uh, an, an algorithm to win the argument. You see, 
what he said was because um, all my friends around me were they, they were like people doing English and history and poetry and this and the other, and they would say things like, "Yeah, but a, a computer could never write a poem, could it? Or could never fall in love?" And what he said to everything like that was, "Tell me exactly what falling in love means and how <laughs> you would tell if the computer had done it." And um, you know, well, 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 it would sort of, you know, uh, and, and he said, you see, every time you say something like it couldn't write a poem, I'll say, tell me exactly what a poem is. And actually, if you do answer that correctly, you've told me what to program into the computer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you if you can't answer that exactly, I'll say it's meaningless. Exactly. Your word is meaningless. Either way, you they see. lose. <laughs> yeah. So, that you know, uh, he, now the thing was that people were fighting against him um, uh, because it's a reductionist idea. They hated the idea that our brains might be like a computer. Now, what I was doing was finding that uh, reductionism has got a reverse gear. Um, well, you see, uh, the idea in those days of reincarnation was ridiculous because how could someone die in one place and the soul, whatever that is, somehow flies through the air and space and time and lands up in another body. You know, why can't instruments detect it, detect it in motion and things like that? You know, um, why can't sensitive instruments see the soul leaving the body and all that type of thing? And I said, well, um, what occurred to me is if my being, you know, the part of me that I identify with, what I call me, is actually... A pattern of information, then why the hell shouldn't that pattern of information turn up in other places? Yeah. Um, now, people say, well, you know, the, the possibility of that is bigger, you know, more than the atoms in the universe, is because it's it's such a complex bit of information. And I'd say, yeah, but it's approximate. I'm a very different person speaking to you now because it's it's my breakfast time than I was <laughs> when I went to bed last night. You know. Um, I'm a different person at different times. So that sense of me um, is actually, has got a lot of variations. So why shouldn't one of those senses of me turn up in another body? And after all, when you fall asleep, you have dreams and uh, you talk to people in your dreams. And unless it's a, um, uh, a lucid dream, you think they're real people, which means actually they've passed the uh, Turing test. Yeah. Um, so your brain is creating huge, uh, a limitless number of other intelligences which pass the Turing test. It's creating other people, you see. So why shouldn't um, my mind reincarnate another body? So I, I found the reverse gear in reductionism. You know, instead of making all the world more and more and more mechanical, I was actually saying the magical view of the world uh, works. Um, we can reincarnate. And um, then, uh, oh, let me think, it must have been about sort of 10 years later, there was this two big themes were in the news. One was overpopulation. <clears throat> people were getting really worried. You know, people were studying the idea of overpopulation, you know, and we're going to have to kill off all the animals to make room for human beings. We're going to have to recycle um, minerals to f feed us, you know, like um, Soylent Green, you know, we're going to have to recycle our corpses to make food. Um, and then people said, you know, the whole world could be 
covered over, get rid of the oceans, things, just have one big city um, expanding outwards. And they said that still wouldn't work because ultimately, because of the heat generated by human beings and life, getting rid of that heat would mean the earth would begin to glow like the sun to get that heat out of space. And eventually the surface would melt. You know, it, it couldn't be sustained. And the other thing that was being talked about at the time was von Dannegan, um, you know, uh, and, and I can't remember, one or two people writing along these lines. Um, Stonehenge shows quite extraordinary intelligence in its design when you look into it, which was surely way beyond these Neolithic people. Yeah. And so they argue there must have been visitors from outer space that came and, um, uh, you know, and taught people or, or made them make these things. And there was a lot of stories like that. Now, I wrote this story where I said um, the world has got so overpopulated. How did people stay sane? Well, I thought of cinema, giving people a fantasy world, going back to that idea of, you know, the other world, the magical thing. And then television brings it into their home. I said, if people were living in tiny little hutch, hutches inside one vast city with no nature or anything like that, the way they would stay sane would be putting a helmet on and what I called recreational cyberticians would <laughs> scan their brains and um, make them act out dreams for them, which were they'd spend most of their life dreaming, um, wonderful dreams in, in nature and wonderful places and flying to the, other planets, things like that. And that's how they'd stay sane. Now, you see, what happened in this story as they reached that crisis point, they couldn't go on. And so the recreational cyberneticians said, look, what we can do is create a million um, uh, worlds, simulated worlds, and then download people's brains, their consciousness into those worlds. So they would wake up in, and we didn't have the term virtual reality in those days, you know, a, a sort of a model world. And so... Um, you know, of course, the, the politicians wanted things built into this world. You must have commitment. You know, the religious people said, we want high morality. And I said, and they said, no, no, look, you, you're arguing amongst yourselves. The only thing we can do, I suggest, is we can scan back to um, the point when civilization began, the Neolithic age. Basically, we'll recreate the world as we knew it in the Neolithic age. And that's where we'll download everyone's mind to. And so they did that, you see. And, and then the last person to be downloaded was the guy who thought up the scheme. And he comes around and he's in the body of an old tribal sage. And you see his little children running around. And he thinks, oh, my God, they've been born into this world. Um, the real world to them is just a myth. How extraordinary. And then he thought, I want to leave a message. Um, how can I communicate the future? I mean, I could tell people about the real world, but then it'll just become a myth after a generation or two. I could write something down, with, you know, find something I can scratch and write, but that will fade away. And he said, the only thing I can do would be to make some great big stone monument. <laughs> you see, now, I thought that was a great idea because um, it, it was like the Von Daniken thing, but you didn't have to have any remains because the great argument against it was, well, you know, if spaceships came and visited us why is there no nothing left over you know so no space trash um found in archaeological sites things like that you know um why is there absolutely no residue 
Um, and this sort of provided an answer. You know, intelligence came to this world because it was down, you know, it was downloaded from another reality. And so that was my first thing. And that was about 1970, where I wrote uh, the idea that the world we're living in might actually be um, what we now call a virtual reality. Yeah. And then about another 10 years later, the idea occurred. I came up with this argument that, you know, scientists are beginning to talk about the theory of everything. You know, they could find the equations yeah, yeah. which would reproduce, um, which would completely explain the universe we live in. Now, my idea was, well, if that's so, how would you test that? You wouldn't be able to get a zillion tons of matter to sort of make it happen. You would have to model it in a computer. Okay, so you run the model, and sure enough, there's a big bang and um, galaxies form and everything, just like the real thing. Terrific. So we've proved science is right. And the religious people say, no, 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 no. Um, it takes God to make life. So you've got to leave the thing running and look at all the sort of Earth-like planets until you find one where life is evolving. Right, okay, we've proved it now, you know, life. And then the religious people said, ah, yes, but those are just like animals. You know, they're not human. They haven't got God's soul in them. You know, um, they're not in the... And so you've got to keep running the thing until um, you have a Garden of Eden and then there are hominids and all that type of thing. Now, and then you've shown... Now, I said, if that could happen... How would you judge when the, uh, you really had reproduced, uh, you know, the world as we know it? It would be when they become intelligent enough to start um, having their own scientific theories and themselves deciding that um, finding the theory of everything and start modeling their own world. <laughs> uh, now, in that case, you would get a sort of chain of worlds. Um, there would be so many, um, uh, so many virtual realities that what's the chance we just happen to be living in the first one? Yeah. It becomes vanishingly small. So I said probabilistically, it's more likely we're living in a virtual reality than in some original material reality, which it's all supposed to be based on. So, so, what, so what do you, the, I mean, you think, I, what do you I think? Call that, yeah, can I just say, I call that Johnston's paradox. Okay. And in the, early 70s, the early days of the internet, people were discussing Johnson's paradox as an idea. And that was before the matrix or any of that, you know, subsequent stuff. So I like to think that I set a little ripple out there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I mean, now, what do you think nowadays when there, there's all kinds of theories about simulation and digital mm -hmm. universe? I yeah. mean, it's, it's quite, uh, it's, it's, it's blown up quite a bit. Yeah, that's it. And I haven't followed it because, you know, I, I tend to go on to something else that interests me. Yeah. You know, that, um, um, but I do think it is a very good magical um, uh, paradigm, let's use that word, um, because the book I wrote about it, which was in about 1986, and Words Made Flesh, um, by then I, I'd given up trying to persuade people, you know, that, that we really are in a virtual reality. Instead, I said... If we begin to experience, um, again, I didn't have the word virtual, computer-modeled realities like computer games and um, things like that, uh, people will, it'll begin to make sense. People begin to think, 
why aren't we living in a virtual reality? You see, to me, it's that Occam's razor thing. Yeah. Um, the reason that uh, the rational view of the universe is so powerful is if um, uh, I say that I had a spiritual experience and spoke to God, and they say, but we could put a chemical in your brain or stick an electrode in your brain and give you exactly the same experience. Um, Occam's razor says, well, probably then experiences of God are actually that thing happening in your brain. <laughs> yeah. Rather than having sort of two versions of the same thing, you yeah, know, one is yeah. God and the other's in your brain. Yeah. They'll say, well, actually, I think it's all just in the brain. Now, what I said is if people begin to experience better and better virtual realities, after a while, they'll begin to think, well, why do we need to have a different idea about our own reality? It's much simpler just to think that all varieties are virtual. And so that was the argument I put in Words Made Flesh, you know, that whether it's true or not, I think the future generations are beginning, going to begin to think of this world as, as a, uh, an information construct. And I liked it because I said, you know, there's the matter version of, you, of reality, there's the energy version of reality, and I'm completing the Trinity by saying there's a information version version of reality. And um, now the thing that um, I know the people who write about it now have probably gone way before on on the science of it. But what I did in Words Made Flesh is I looked at how it would affect the world if people thought that was true. And so I sort of looked at, you know, what would it do to religion? Um, the idea that this is a virtual reality. You could build a religion on the idea that it was God who constructed this virtual reality. In other words, you know, it doesn't mean the end of religion. It just means different types of religion. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what would it do to society? And um, I, uh, I can't remember the arguments now, but the sort of thing I said is, you can imagine a time in the future when um, uh, someone does the sort of thing we've been talking about. He goes into the garden, and before he picks a cabbage, he thanks the cabbage for having grown and being about to nourish him. Because, you see, he sees the cabbage and himself as just two aspects of one whole reality. Connected, yeah. And therefore, he's going to respect it. Yeah, you yeah, know, um, yeah. It's feeding him. So I sort of, I explore many different things, how, you know, and one very interesting one for me is, um, uh, Magic. Um, to the rationalist, uh, to do a little ritual, um, so, say it's a, a love ritual and you do something with Venus, you know, and, and perfumes of Venus and this, that and the other, and you do it when Venus is rising um, sky, they'll say how absolutely stupid. There's no connection at all between that lump of matter millions of miles out in space called Venus and this stuff which you're burning and your love life. It's they're all totally separate. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, they're independent in, in computing terms. Now, the interesting thing is that making things random and independent is very expensive in a virtual reality. Um, you can make a very complex uh, space like the Mandelbrot set, hugely complex, you could look at a little bit of that through a magnifying glass and you could never work out where it's come from because mm. it's just so complex. You would need a huge computer to go backwards from a piece of the Mandelbrot set to the original equation mm. to work it out because it's so complex. 
But um, in a computer, you can make something as complex as the world we're living in, but it would all come from a simple set of equations. So everything is connected. Now, if you really were going to make something totally random happen, randomness is very difficult to generate in a computer. In fact, they have to use tricks, you know, sort of um, pushing the, uh, I know, the chip to its limits where it begins to break down, you know, and, and do non-physical things or whatever, um, or, or rather, you know, uh, the computing breaks down. It, so the idea that um, when you shuffle a pack of cards, it's totally independent of what's happening in the world around you is dead obvious in a material world, but in an information world, it's impossible, almost impossible. Um, everything would be connected. And then the question then is interesting is, why can't we see the connections? Why are they so difficult to find? And that's to do with complexity. Mm. Um, but I like that because it sort of turned the tables, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead of having to explain the magical world and justify it, you have to justify why ever it would be possible to have a world where things happened randomly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that where the chaos and the chaos magic comes in then? Um, How is that related? Yeah, it, yeah, it might, it might, because um, my relationship with chaos magic is not sort of direct in the way that Pete Carroll's was. It was, I wrote these books and put out these ideas, and um, then I found that there was a group of people um, who sort of knew my stuff, and they were calling themselves chaos magicians. So it sort of, <laughs> it fed into it, if you like. It was it was an amazing experience for me. You know, I'd done Thunder Squeak and I'd I was sticking the pages together and taking them around little shops, you know, and then you know, finally they hadn't sold this, that, and the other. And then I got this invitation to um out of the blue to come to Leeds University to speak to the Leeds University Occult Society. And I thought, wow, you know, I wish there'd been an occult society in universities in my days. So I went up there and said hello you know and um <laughs> i went into this hall and the man stood up and said tonight's speaker needs no introduction <laughs> my jaw sagged what looking at the i mean it wasn't hundreds of people it was you know, maybe you no know, 100 people or 60 people or something but i need no introduction and i realized that all these people who read my stuff wow and it was amazing <laughs> so and and they you know leads and um that area was uh sort of where the chaos current um, really flowered. Um, I know it had its origins um, in London, if you really take it back to Pete Carroll and, and the people in or Stoke Newington, I think it was. But um, it was really in the north of England that um, it, it, it took off. And uh, um, I think that's when it got its name. And so, yeah, my ideas are sort of fed into them. And so, you know, I was invited to come and speak to the chaos conferences and um, I was initiated into the IOT and uh, used to go to their, um, take part in their uh, wonderful, amazing conferences they held in Austria um, and other places. Uh, yeah, so I very much, um, you know, identify with the chaos current, but uh, I'm not like a leading light or an expert um, in the current itself, you know, and, and what, I don't know what exactly the themes are at present, what's going on now. Yeah. You know, as I said, I'm quite out of touch down in South Africa, huh. but uh, it's lovely to hear signs of <laughs> sort of ideas which I toyed with, um, you know, coming alive elsewhere and um, particularly when they're useful in other people's lives. That's just fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, another ripple. 
Absolutely. Well, yeah. Well, this has been awesome, Lionel. We'd like to really thank you for getting up early and postponing your breakfast. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, giving us, you know, 80 or 90 minutes here, some good content. And uh, this has oh, been so great. We we'll have to look at doing this again sometime down the road. Well, time has flown, I must admit. I, yeah, I am hungry, but um, <laughs> I didn't realize that we, we, yeah, we've got to well over an hour, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, it's yes. crazy, eh? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's good. You're good people to talk to. I wish you lived next door. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, it's just been, fa been really <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, I loved learning about <laughs> that. And, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, and probably follow your work a little closer. And oh, yeah, before we go, you, you got to tell us about your new YouTube channel and what you're doing there with that. And we'll point, we'll point people in that oh, direction. Yes. Yeah. It's been the YouTube channel has been terribly quiet for about uh, more than a month now. Okay. Um, now, talking of synchronicities, put it down to the fact that I just completed editing for um, publication by Abraman and Dario 40 years ago. And while I was doing that, my very reliable Mac system oh. um, totally packed up and had to be rebuilt twice. And just as I was getting it back together, um, I had the first burglary we've had here ever. And um, they took nothing but my office computer with um, all my stuff in it. Um, and uh, then, um, of course, I went to the um, the back, uh, what you call it, you know, the time capsule backup and was told it was corrupted. And I support very expensive software trying to get back to my get my system back alive again and haven't yet managed it. And then um, uh, I had a, a skin cancer. Um, I've never had cancer just doesn't run in our family. You know, it's not our sort of thing, but we go in for strokes, but um, diagnosed with skin cancer. And so I had my wound going septic and I had to have an operation and um, uh, and my cooker which is in the place where i do my work and in the place where i send out those videos the cooker the oven caught fire and <laughs> burnt out so um i've had quite a chain of disasters recently and um uh it's very easy to ascribe it to the fact that the demons of abramelin have leaked out <laughs> wow or the youtube trolls yeah, so I'm going to have to, um, yeah, I've got a few ideas. I'll, I'll, I'll get that going again. Um, I haven't yet completely rebuilt my system, but you know, I have got a computer working down there. Mm. I used our studio when I deleted a bunch of stuff one time. Mm. It was for Mac, too. Oh, yeah. What, what did you call it, Darren? Our studio? Our studio, yeah. when I deleted those six episodes accidentally. Oh, gosh, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's it. It was obviously powerful stuff, you know. The best stuff gets gets um, the universe rebels against it. <laughs> that's right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just um, on your question, yeah, I've got this channel. It's called the Ramsey Dukes YouTube channel. And um, uh, there's now more than 50 little videos in there. Um, and it began just uh, as uh, providing some some stuff for my niece who was going to do a workshop i said well, i'll do six little videos <laughs> five minute ones you know um and you got some material you could pull up and she was very apologetic she hadn't done it i said well i'll put it on facebook and i put it on facebook and as i was uploading the second one which took about 15 minutes four people were already looking at the first one and then people started saying will you have a youtube channel because then it's easier to share 
And so it snowballed from there. Nice, nice. Well, I think that's a good platform for you to put out your work. Yeah, it'll be good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right on. We'll, well, we'll link to that. Or, yeah, yeah. Mm, we'll link to that mm. in the show notes and all that, and we'll send you a copy when we get this thing out. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks mm. for your time, and have a great breakfast. Have a good day. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Th- thanks, Lionel. Okay. I'm okay. Hit that red button now. Okay. Take okay, care. Ciao for now. Bye. Bye. And that was our chat with Lionel Snell. Another that was a good one. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, oh, I love it. Big thanks to Lionel for getting up early. It was a fantastic chat. Uh, big thanks to Graham for staying up late. He has drive home in the blizzard. Simplifying now. the magic. You got to drive home and back here in a blizzard. In I was going to try to sneak out to start my car, but I couldn't. Six hours. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Big thanks to uh, Lionel. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, do check out gramerica.ca slash support if you found a little value from the show today. Sign up for a monthly if you can. Uh, we got everything there from a buck a month to 30 bucks a month. Uh, really helps, guys. It really does. Uh, if you can't do a monthly, you do one-time donation. That gets you, Both those get you access to the Black Budget content. And uh, if you can't afford to support the show financially, there's a ton of ways in the show notes to do it for free. Yep. So check out the show notes. And uh, I think that's about it. It's pretty late in the igloo after about eight hours straight. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Season's greetings from the Grimerica Show podcast. Gather around the fireplace. Help yourself to some hot cocoa with the little marshmallows in it. Maybe have a candy cane or two. And maybe some cookies. It's so warm and jolly. Cry Merry Christmas. Podcasting from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo. And over there, that's Graham crying tears of joy. As he listens in on the little drummer boy. I see you've acquainted yourself with D-Ron. Yeah, it's true, he puffs Christmas trees on medicinal. Wait a second, is that? Yeah, I think that's Sasquatch beneath the mistletoe. Get over here, Graham. Thank you for saving me and give me a kiss. And it looks like Napoleon Doom is decorating the room with tinsels, ribbon, popcorn, on strings, and poinsettias. They are in bloom. And you might ask, Who's that in the green and red Lucia Libre mask? Why, of course, that's RPJ. Feliz Navidad. It's so warm and jolly. Cry Merry Christmas. in from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo. And over there, that's Graham crying tears of joy. As he listens in on the little drummer boy You'll get a warm and fuzzy feeling if you donate to the Grime America show So get in the spirit, reach down in your pocket and make it rain I mean, uh, let it snow, make it snow, let it snow, let it snow, make it snow Donate to the show Donate to the show Donate to the show It's so warm and jolly Podcast in from the igloo. Darren plays jingle bells on the didgeridoo. 
And over there that's Graham crying tears of joy As he listens in on the little drummer boy Thank you. 